chapter five of jefferson and his colleagues by alan johnson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five in pursuit of the floridas the purchase of louisiana was a diplomatic triumph of the first magnitude no american negotiators have ever acquired so much for so little yet oddly enough neither livingston nor monroe had the slightest notion of the vast extent of the domain which they had purchased they had bought louisiana with the same extent that it is now in the hands of spain and that it had when france possessed it and such as it should be after the treaties subsequently entered into between spain and other states but what its actual boundaries were they did not know considerably disturbed that the treaty contained no definition of boundaries livingston sought information from the enigmatical talleyrand what are the eastern bounds of louisiana he asked i do not know replied talleyrand you must take it as we received it but what did you mean to take urged livingston somewhat naively i do not know was the answer then you mean that we shall construe it in our own way i can give you no directions said the astute frenchman you have made a noble bargain for yourselves and i suppose you will make the most of it and with these vague assurances livingston had to be satisfied the first impressions of jefferson were not much more definite for while he believed that the acquired territory more than doubled the area of the united states he could only describe it as including all the waters of the missouri and the mississippi he started at once however to collect information about louisiana he prepared a list of queries which he sent to reputable persons living in or near new orleans the task was one in which he delighted to accumulate and diffuse information a truly democratic mission gave him more real pleasure than to reign in the executive mansion his interest in the trans-mississippi country indeed was not of recent birth he had nursed for years an insatiable curiosity about the source and course of the missouri and in this very year he had commissioned his secretary meriwether lewis to explore the great river and its tributaries to ascertain if they afforded a direct and practicable water communication across the continent the outcome of the president's questionnaire was a report submitted to congress in the fall of eighteen o three which contained much interesting information and some entertaining misinformation the statistical matter we may put to one side as contemporary readers doubtless did certain impressions are worth recording new orleans the first and immediate object of negotiations contained it would appear only a small part of the population of the province which numbered some twenty or more rural districts on the river above the city were the plantations of the so-called upper coast inhabited mostly by slaves whose creole masters lived in town then as one journeyed upstream appeared the first and second german coasts where dwelt the descendants of those germans who had been brought to the province by john law's mississippi bubble and industrious folk making their livelihood as purveyors to the city every friday night they loaded their small craft with produce and held market next day on the river front at new orleans adding another touch to the picturesque groups which frequented the levees above the german coast were the first and second acadian coasts populated by the numerous progeny of those unhappy refugees who were expelled from nova scotia in seventeen fifty five acadian settlements were scattered also along the backwaters west of the great river bayou la fourche was lined with farms which were already producing cotton near bayou tetch and bayou vermilion the atacapas country were cattle ranges and to the north was the richer grazing country known as Appaloosas. 
passing beyond the iberville river which was indeed no river at all but only an overflow of the mississippi the traveller upstream saw on his right hand the government of baton rouge with its scattered settlements and mixed population of french spanish and anglo-americans and still farther on the spanish parish of west feliciana accounted a part of west florida and described by president jefferson as the garden of the cotton-growing region beyond this point the president's description of louisiana became less confident as reliable sources of information failed him his credulity however led him to make one amazing statement which provoked the ridicule of his political opponents always ready to pounce upon the slips of this philosopher president one extraordinary fact relative to salt must not be omitted he wrote in all seriousness there exists about one thousand miles up the missouri and not far from that river a salt mountain the existence of such a mountain might well be questioned were it not for the testimony of several respectable and enterprising traders who have visited it and who have exhibited several bushels of the salt to the curiosity of the people of st louis where some of it still remains a specimen of the salt has been sent to marietta this mountain is said to be one hundred and eighty miles long and forty-five in width composed of solid rock salt without any trees or even shrubs on it one federalist wit insisted that this salt mountain must be lot's wife another sent an epigram to the united states gazette which ran as follows herostratus of old to eternalize his name set the temple of diana all in a flame but jefferson lately of bonaparte bought to pickle his name a mountain of salt jefferson was too much of a philosopher to be disturbed by such jibes but he did have certain constitutional doubts concerning the treaty how as a strict constructionist was he to defend the purchase of territory outside the limits of the united states when the constitution did not specifically grant such power to the federal government he had fought the good fight of the year eighteen hundred to oust federalist administrators who by a liberal interpretation were making waste paper of the constitution consistency demanded either that he should abandon the treaty or that he should ask for the powers which had been denied to the federal government he chose the latter course and submitted to his cabinet and to his followers in congress a draft of an amendment to the constitution conferring the desired powers to his dismay they treated his proposal with indifference not to say coldness he pressed his point redrafted his amendment and urged its consideration once again meantime letters from livingston and moreau warned him that delay was hazardous the first consul might change his mind as he was wont to do on slight provocation privately jefferson was deeply chagrined but he dared not risk the loss of louisiana with what grace he could summon he acquiesced in the advice of his virginia friends who urged him to let events take their course and to drop the amendment but he continued to believe that such a course if persisted in would make blank paper of the constitution he could only trust as he said in the letter that the good sense of the country will correct the evil of construction when it shall produce its ill effects the debates on the treaty in congress make interesting reading for those who delight in legal subtleties for many nice questions of constitutional law were involved even granting that territory could be acquired there was the further question whether the treaty-making power was competent irrespective of the house of representatives and what prey was meant by incorporating this new province in the union was louisiana to be admitted into the union as a state by president and senate or was it to be governed as a dependency 
and how could the special privileges given to spanish and french ships in the port of new orleans be reconciled with that provision of the constitution which expressly forbade any preference to be given by any regulation of commerce or revenue to the ports of one state over those of another the exigencies of politics played havoc with consistency so that republicans supported the ratification of the treaty with erstwhile federalist arguments while federalists used the old arguments of the republicans yet the senate advised the ratification by a decisive vote and with surprising promptness and congress passed a provisional act authorizing the president to take over and govern the territory of louisiana the vast province which napoleon had tossed so carelessly into the lap of the young western republic was strangely enough not yet formally in his possession the expeditionary force under general victor which was to have occupied louisiana had never left port monsieur pierre clement Lossa, however who was to have accompanied the expedition to assume the duties of prefect in the province had sailed alone in january eighteen o three to receive the province from the spanish authorities if this lonely frenchman on mission possessed the imagination of his race he must have had some emotional thrills as he reflected that he was following the sea trail of la salle and iberville through the warm waters of the gulf of mexico he could not have entered the great river and breasted its yellow current for a hundred miles without seeing in his mind's eye those phantom figures of french and spanish adventurers who had voyaged up and down its turbid waters in quest of gold or of distant cathay as his vessel dropped anchor opposite the town which bienville had founded Losa must have felt that in some degree he was heir of all the ages yet he was in fact face to face with conditions which whatever their historic antecedents were neither french nor spanish on the water-front of new orleans he counted forty-five anglo-american ships to ten french subsequent experiences deepened this first impression it was not spanish nor french influence which had made this port important but those three hundred thousand planters who in twenty years have swarmed over the eastern plains of the mississippi and have cultivated them and who have no other outlet than this river and no other port than new orleans the outward aspect of the city however was certainly not american from the masthead of his vessel Losa, might have seen over a thousand dwellings of varied architecture houses of adobe houses of brick houses of stucco some with bright colors others with the harmonious half-tones produced by sun and rain no american artisans constructed the picturesque balconies the verandas and belvederes which suggested the semi-tropical existence that nature forced upon these city dwellers for more than half the year no american craftsman wrought the artistic ironwork of balconies gateways and window gratings here was an atmosphere which suggested the old world rather than the new the streets which ran at right angles were reminiscent of the old regime conde conti dauphin st louis chartres bouval orleans all these names were to be found within the earthen rampart which formed the defence of the city the inhabitants were a strange mixture spanish french american black quadroon and creole no adequate definition has ever been formulated for creole but no one familiar with the type could fail to distinguish this caste from those descended from the first french settlers or from the acadians a keen observer like Losa discerned speedily that the creole had little place in the commercial life of the city he was your landed proprietor who owned some of the choicest parts of the city and its growing suburbs and whose plantations lined both banks of the mississippi 
with an easy reach from the city at the opposite end of the social scale were the quadroons the demi-monde of this little capital and the negro slaves between these extremes were the french and in ever-growing numbers the americans who plied every trade while the spaniards constituted the governing class deliberately in the course of time as befitted a spanish gentleman and officer the marquis de casa calvo resplendent with regalia arrived from havana to act with governor don juan manuel de salcido in transferring the province a season of gaiety followed in which the spaniards did their best to conceal any chagrin they may have felt at the relinquishment happily it might not be termed the surrender of louisiana and finally on the thirtieth of november governor salcedo delivered the keys of the city to losa in the hall of a cabildo while marquis de casa calvo from the balcony absolved the people in place d'armes below from their allegiance to his master the king of spain for the brief term of twenty days louisiana was again a province of france within that time losa bestirred himself to gallicize the colony so far as forms could do so he replaced the cabildo or hereditary council by a municipal council he restored the civil code he appointed french officers to civil and military posts and all this he did in the full consciousness that american commissioners were already on their way to receive from him in turn the province which his wayward master had sold on december twenty eighteen o three young william claiborne governor of the mississippi territory and general james wilkinson with a few companies of soldiers entered and received from losa the keys of the city and the formal surrender of lower louisiana on the place d'armes promptly at noon the tricolor was hauled down and the american stars and stripes took its place louisiana had been transferred for the sixth and last time but what were the meets and bounds of this province which had been so often bought and sold what had losa been instructed to take and give what in short was louisiana the elation which livingston and moreau felt at acquiring unexpectedly a vast territory beyond the mississippi soon gave way to a disquieting reflection they had been instructed to offer ten million dollars for new orleans and the floridas they had pledged fifteen millions for louisiana without the floridas and they knew that it was precisely west florida with the eastern bank of the mississippi and the gulf littoral that was most ardently desired by their countrymen of the west but might not louisiana include west florida had talleyrand not professed ignorance of the eastern boundary and had he not intimated that the americans would make the most of their bargain within a month livingston had convinced himself that the united states could rightfully claim west florida to the perdido river and he soon won over monroe to his way of thinking they then reported to madison that on a thorough examination of the subject they were persuaded that they had purchased west florida as a part of louisiana by what process of reasoning had livingston and monroe reached this satisfying conclusion their argument proceeded from carefully chosen premises france it was said had once held louisiana and the floridas together as part of her colonial empire in america in seventeen sixty three she had ceded new orleans and the territory west of the mississippi to spain and at the same time she had transferred the floridas to great britain in seventeen eighty three great britain had returned the floridas to spain which were then reunited to louisiana as under french rule ergo when louisiana was retroceded with the same extent that it now has in the hands of spain and that it had when france possessed it it must have included west florida that livingston was able to convince himself by this logic does not speak well for his candour or intelligence he was well aware that bonaparte had failed to persuade don carlos to include the floridas in the retrocession he had tried to insert in the treaty an article pledging the first consul 
to use his good offices to obtain the floridas for the united states and in his midnight dispatch to madison with the prospect of acquiring louisiana before him he had urged the advisability of exchanging this province for the more desirable floridas livingston therefore could not and did not say that spain intended to cede the floridas as a part of louisiana but that she had inadvertently done so and that bonaparte might have claimed west florida if he had been shrewd enough to see his opportunity the united states was in no way prevented from pressing this claim because the first consul had not done so the fact that france had in seventeen sixty three actually dismembered her colonial empire and that louisiana as ceded to spain extended only to the ibavilla was given no weight in livingston's deductions having the will to believe jefferson and madison became converts to livingston's faith madison wrote at once that in view of these developments no proposal to exchange louisiana for the floridas should be entertained the president declared himself satisfied that our right to the perdido is substantial and can be opposed by a quibble on form only and john randolph duly coached by the administration flatly declared in the house of representatives that we have not only obtained the command of the mouth of the mississippi but of the mobile with its widely extended branches and there is not now a single stream of note rising within the united states and falling into the gulf of mexico which is not entirely our own la apalachicola excepted from this moment to the end of his administration the acquisition of west florida became a sort of obsession with jefferson his pursuit of this phantom claim involved american diplomats in strange adventures and at times deflected the whole course of domestic politics the first luckless minister to engage in this baffling quest was james monroe who had just been appointed minister to the court of st james he was instructed to take up the threads of diplomacy at madrid where they were getting badly tangled in the hands of charles pinckney who was a better politician than a diplomat your inquiries may also be directed wrote madison to the question whether any and how much of what passes for west florida be fairly included in the territory ceded to us by france before leaving paris on this mission monroe made an effort to secure the good offices of the emperor but he found talleyrand cold and cynical as ever he was given to understand that it was all a question of money if the united states were willing to pay the price the emperor could doubtless have the negotiations transferred to paris and put the deal through a loan of seventy million livres to spain which would be passed over at once to france would probably put the united states into possession of the coveted territory as an honest man monroe shrank from this sort of jobbery besides he could hardly offer to buy a territory which his government asserted it had already bought with louisiana with the knowledge that he was defying napoleon or at least his ministers he started for madrid to play a lone hand in what he must have known was a desperate game the conduct of the administration during the next few months was hardly calculated to smooth monroe's path in the following february eighteen o four president jefferson put his signature to an act which was designed to give effect to the laws of the united states in the newly acquired territory the fourth section of this so-called mobile act included explicitly within the revenue district of mississippi all the navigable waters lying within the united states and emptying into the gulf east of the mississippi an extraordinary provision indeed since unless the floridas were a part of the united states there were no rivers within the limits of the united states emptying into the gulf east of the mississippi the eleventh section was even more remarkable since it gave the president authority to erect mobile bay and river into a separate revenue district and to designate a port of entry this cool appropriation of spanish territory was too much for the excitable spanish minister don carlos martinez Irullo, who burst into madison's office one morning with a copy of the act in his hand and with angry protests on his lips 
he had been on excellent terms with madison and had enjoyed jefferson's friendship and hospitality at monticello but he was the accredited representative of his catholic majesty and bound to defend his sovereignty he fairly overwhelmed the timid madison with reproaches that could never be forgiven or forgotten and from this moment he was persona non grata in the department of state madison doubtless took the rouillot's reproaches more to heart just because he felt himself in a false position the administration had allowed the transfer of louisiana to be made in the full knowledge that losas had been instructed to claim louisiana as far as the rio bravo on the west but only as far as the Ibervilla on the east losas had finally admitted as much confidentially to the american commissioners yet the administration had not protested and now it was acting on the assumption that it might dispose of the gulf littoral the west florida coast as it pleased madison was bound to admit in his heart of hearts that Irujo had reason to be angry a few weeks later the president relieved the tense situation though at the price of an obvious evasion by issuing a proclamation which declared all the shores and waters lying within the boundaries of the united states to be a revenue district with fort stoddart as the port of entry but the mischief had been done and no constructive interpretation of the act by the president could efface the impression first made upon the mind of e congress had meant to appropriate west florida and the president had suffered the bill to become law nor was pinckney's conduct at madrid likely to make monroe's mission easier two years before in eighteen o two he had negotiated a convention by which spain agreed to pay indemnity for depredations committed by her cruisers in the late war between france and the united states this convention had been ratified somewhat tardily by the senate and now waited on the pleasure of the spanish government pinckney was instructed to press for the ratification by spain which was taken for granted but he was explicitly warned to leave the matter of the florida claims to monroe when he presented the demands of his government to Ceballos, the foreign minister he was met in turn with a demand for explanations what pray did his government mean by this act to pinckney's astonishment he was confronted with a copy of the mobile act which e had forwarded the south carolinian replied in a tone that was not calculated to soothe ruffled feelings that he had already been advised that west florida was included in the louisiana purchase and had so reported to Savallos. he urged that the two subjects be kept separate and begged his excellency to have confidence in the honor and justice of the united states delays followed until Savallos finally declared sharply that the treaty would be ratified only on several conditions one of which was that the mobile act should be revoked pinckney then threw discretion to the winds and announced that he would ask for his passports but his bluster did not change spanish policy and he dared not carry out his threat it was under these circumstances that monroe arrived in madrid on his difficult mission he was charged with the delicate task of persuading a government whose pride had been touched to the quick to ratify the claims convention to agree to a commission to adjudicate other claims which it had refused to recognize to yield west florida as a part of the louisiana purchase and to accept two million dollars for the rest of florida east of the perdido river in preparing these extraordinary instructions the secretary of state labored under the hallucination that spain on the verge of war with england would pay handsomely for the friendship of the united states quite forgetting that the real master of spain was at paris the story of monroe's five weary months in spain may be briefly told he was in the unstrategic position of one who asked for everything and can concede nothing only one consideration could probably have forced the spanish government to yield and that was fear spain had now declared war upon england and might reasonably be supposed to prefer a solid accommodation with the united states as madison intimated rather than add to the number of her foes 
but Savalios exhibited no signs of fear on the contrary he professed an amiable willingness to discuss every point at great length every effort on the part of the american to reach a conclusion was adroitly eluded it was a game in which the spaniard had no equal at last when indubitable assurances came to monroe from paris that napoleon would not suffer spain to make the slightest concession either in the matter of spoliation claims or any other claims and that in the event of a break between the united states and spain he would surely take the part of spain monroe abandoned the game and asked for his passports late in may he returned to paris where he joined with general armstrong who had succeeded livingston in urging upon the administration the advisability of seizing texas leaving west florida alone for the present months of vacillation followed the failure of monroe's mission the president could not shake off his obsession and yet he lacked the resolution to employ force to take either texas which he did not want but was entitled to or west florida which he ardently desired but whose title was in dispute it was not until november of the following year eighteen o five that the administration determined on a definite policy in a meeting of the cabinet i proposed jefferson recorded in a memorandum we should address ourselves to france informing her that it was a last effort at amicable settlement with spain and offer to her or through her a sum not to exceed five million dollars for the floridas the chief obstacle in the way of this program was the uncertain mood of congress for a vote of credit was necessary and congress might not take kindly to napoleon as intermediary jefferson then set to work to draft a message which would alarm the fears of spain by a vigorous language in order to induce her to join us in appealing to the interference of the emperor the message sent to congress alluded briefly to the negotiations with spain and pointed out the unsatisfactory relations which still obtained spain had shown herself unwilling to adjust claims of the boundaries of louisiana her depredations on american commerce had been renewed arbitrary duties and vexatious searches continued to obstruct american shipping on the mobile inroads had been made on american territory spanish officers and soldiers had seized the property of american citizens it was hoped that spain would view these injuries in their proper light if not then the united states must join in the unprofitable contest of trying which party can do the other the most harm some of these injuries may perhaps admit a peaceable remedy where that is competent it is always the most desirable but some of them are of a nature to be met by force only and all of them may lead to it coming from the pen of a president who declared that peace was his passion these belligerent words caused some bewilderment but on the whole very considerable satisfaction in republican circles where the possibility of rupture had been freely discussed the people of the southwest took the president at his word and looked forward with enthusiasm to a war which would surely overthrow spanish rule in the floridas and yield the coveted lands along the gulf of mexico the country awaited with eagerness those further details which the president had promised to set forth in another message these were felt to be historic moments full of dramatic possibilities three days later behind closed doors congress listened to the special message which was to put the nation to the supreme test alas for those who had expected a trumpet call to battle never was a state paper better calculated to wither martial spirit in dull fashion it recounted the events of monroe's unlucky mission and announced the advance of spanish forces in the southwest which however the president had not repelled conceiving that congress alone is constitutionally invested with the power of changing our condition from peace to war he had barely instructed our forces to patrol the borders actually delivered to us it soon dawned upon the dullest intelligence that the president had not the slightest intention to recommend a declaration of war on the contrary he was at pains to point out the path to peace there was reason to believe that france was now disposed to lend her aid in effecting a settlement with spain and not a moment should be lost in availing ourselves of it 
formal war is not necessary it is not probable it will follow but the protection of our citizens the spirit and honor of our country require that force should be interposed to a certain degree it will probably contribute to advance the object of peace after the warlike tone of the first message it this sounded like a retreat it outraged the feelings of the war party it was to their minds an anti-climax a pusillanimous surrender none was angrier than john randolph of virginia hitherto the leader of the forces of the administration in the house he did not hesitate to express his disgust with this double set of opinions and principles and his anger mounted when he learned that as chairman of the committee on ways and means he was expected to propose and carry through an appropriation of two million dollars for the purchase of florida further interviews with the president and the secretary of state did not mollify him for according to his version of these conversations he was informed that france would not permit spain to adjust her differences with the united states which had therefore the alternative of paying france handsomely or of facing a war with both france and spain then randolph broke loose from all restraint and swore by all his gods that he would not assume responsibility for delivering the public purse to the first cutthroat that demanded it randolph's opposition to the florida program was more than an unpleasant episode in jefferson's administration it proved to be the beginning of a revolt which was fatal to the president's diplomacy for randolph passed rapidly from passive to active opposition and fought the two million dollar bill to the bitter end when the house finally outvoted him and his faction soon to be known as the quids and the senate had concurred precious weeks had been lost yet madison must bear some share of blame for the delay since for some reason never adequately explained he did not send instructions to armstrong until four weeks after the action of congress it was then too late to bait the master of europe just what had happened armstrong could not ascertain but when napoleon set out in october eighteen o six on that fateful campaign which crushed prussia at jena and Auerstadt, the chance of acquiring florida had passed End of chapter five